Uh, so this is our third week uh, looking at the story of Jacob together. But over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've read about Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau and how um, Jacob had to run away for fear of his life because of Esau's big anger towards him. Um, so this reading is now 20 years later. So he's coming home and he's pretty worried about his reunion with his brother. So we are Genesis 32. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favour in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau. Now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your own country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going? Who earns Who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, Your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. He replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you, Bree. All right. Where, uh, where does God sit in your life? Where does God sit in your life? Uh, there, are, there are all sorts of ways. Someone could answer that question, aren't there? Uh, someone could say, well, I'm not too sure what I think about God or you know, if there is a God and say God's uh, certainly not a big part of my life. Or you could say uh, God's pretty important, you know, but uh, one of many things that I've got going on as well. Uh, but I hope for most of us, for, for members of our church who are Christians, would actually say something like, oh, God's my Lord. He, he sits at the very core, at the very center of who I am. Is that, is that what you would say? Is that true for you? Where does God sit in your life? Now, we are looking at a pretty interesting part of the Bible today, aren't we? Uh, God and Jacob's wrestling match. I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. I've never particularly been um, into the combat sports, you know, UFC and fighting and boxing and wrestling. Uh, but I will say there is uh, something about a big fight. Uh, one of those, uh, sometimes you get one of those really anticipated bouts. Uh, I remember a few years ago watching um, Conor McGregor fight uh, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, and there was all the hype and the build-up. And uh, in the end, kind of all that hype just comes down to two people. Uh, just, just two people in a ring, no place to hide, no distractions. There's no equipment. It's very raw. It's very basic. It's, it's perhaps very primal. Uh, just two people having it out. Uh, seeing who can beat the other one up. Uh, Well, in today's story, we have Jacob and we have God, and it's nighttime, down by the river, there's there's no one else there, there's no distractions, it's raw, they're on their own, there's no equipment, there's no place to hide, it's just Jacob and God fighting, wrestling through the night. And that's pretty weird, that's pretty bizarre. You could say I've had to do uh, quite a bit of wrestling this week, because I've just trying to figure out what's actually going on with this uh, weird story. I'm still, I think, a little bit uh, perplexed. But what I want to show you this morning is that I think what this story boils down to is that question that I've asked you. God comes to Jacob. It's just the two of them. Everything else is stripped away. And God is saying, Jacob, where do I sit in your life? Where do I sit in your life? Because for Jacob, well, God's been sitting on the sidelines, God's been part of his life, but not a big part. And God is saying to Jacob, it's time to let me in. It's time to let me into the center, into the core of who you are. So where does God sit in your life? I think that's the question God's asking Jacob. I think that's the question, actually, that the passage is asking us today as well. Where does God sit in your life? Have you been keeping God on the sidelines? Or does God sit at the center of who you are? And we're going to dive 
into that question as we uh, think a bit about this story today and we'll pick it apart. Uh, It is bizarre, it is definitely a mysterious sort of story. Uh, So let's see if we can keep things simple today. I just want us to notice uh, these three things, just three questions. It's just the who, how and why. Uh, Who meets God? How he meets God? And why he meets God? Who meets God? How he meets God? And why he meets God. So first of all, let's notice who meets God. Of course, who in this story is it that meets God? It's, it's Jacob, of course. It's Jacob. Uh, and now for those of us who, who've been with us, actually, this is our third week, isn't it? Looking at uh, this character, Jacob. And this is our last week, uh, third out of three weeks. Next week, we're going to move on to the next generation. We're going to start thinking about uh, one of Jacob's sons, in particular, Joseph. Uh, and there's been lots of Jacob's story that we haven't been out of cover. It'd be good to go back and, and read the whole of Jacob's story, if you haven't. But uh, I think what we've seen in these three weeks as we've looked at Jacob is we've seen, I think, the three most pivotal moments in Jacob's life. I think in some ways what we've done, it's a little bit like the Lord of the Rings. I, um, I went back and watched the Lord of the Rings over the past couple of weeks, hadn't seen the Lord of the Rings for ages. Uh, but if, you've, if you know the books or if you've seen the movies, you'll know uh, that there's so much in the books that doesn't make it into the movies. There's so much other detail, uh, but the movies do do a pretty good job of getting those key parts in there. And well, uh, I think if, if Jacob... Uh, Jacob's story was like the Lord of the Rings. Well, I think today is the Mount Doom moment. You know, the enemy's coming, everything's closing in, it's impending disaster. And Frodo and Sam, you know, they have the ring, they're about to climb the mountain to try and destroy it. Yeah, this is where everything's going to be decided. This is uh, three long movies, this is the big climax where everything's come to a head. Uh, and a bit like the Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, I don't know if you know the, know the story, but in the Lord of the Rings books, you kind of get to Mount Doom and then you're surprised by this whole other story that kind of goes on for ages and ages and ages. You don't really expect it coming. And, and like that, well, Jacob's still going to be around for a while. He's, he's not actually going to end his life until right uh, at the end of Genesis. Uh, but I think this is very much the crux. This is, this is his big moment. This is the climax of his story. And when you get to one of those kind of climactic moments in a movie, those kind of big crux moments, there's always some sort of kind of sense of impending doom or something like that, isn't there? That's definitely uh, the vibe of our story today. And uh, Jane did a really helpful job kind of recapping some of the story in the kids' talk earlier, and Bree uh, has given us a good little bit of background as well. But let's, let's recap then, because uh, let's, let's go back over the weeks we've gone through. Week, week one, we saw Jacob was born. Uh, we saw the early part of Jacob's life. Uh, and his life right from the start has been about fighting, scrapping, deceiving, wrestling, um, you might remember even in the womb, Jacob was already fighting, uh, fighting with his brother Esau. Uh, we saw in that first week how uh, Jacob stole a blessing by uh, tricking his blind father, stole the blessing from his brother. Uh, and Esau, Esau, Jacob's brother, was so mad about that that Jacob had to go off and flee. Uh, he's been over in the east. Uh, and last week, we, we had a bit of a look at Jacob when he was in the east. Uh, you, if you were here, Jacob got a bit of a taste of his own medicine. Uh, the deceiver was deceived. His uncle Laban tricked him into marrying the wrong person. Uh, but since then, Jacob's actually been getting his own back. He's been scheming, he's been plotting, he's been doing all sorts of underhanded deals, and he ends up actually taking lots of Laban's possessions, and now he's got family, he's got livestock, he's got all these riches. Uh, and in today's story, as I think Bree said, it's 20 years later, but there's one big thing that he hasn't dealt with, and that is his brother. It's time for him to return home, but he knows waiting for him at home is his brother Esau, who, as far as he knows, still wants to kill him. And so verse 3 from our passage, let's just have a little look. Jacob's worried about what's going to happen. <coughs> uh, let's, let's read just a little bit of this. Jacob sent messages ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you had to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, you know, he's changed his tune a little bit, hasn't he? Your servant Jacob. Uh, your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. 
I have cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, male and female servants. Hey, I'm rich now, you know, you might be in your best interest, actually, let me live, hint, hint. Uh, Now I'm sending this message to your Lord that I might might find favour in your eyes. Uh, But what happens, verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and he's coming now to meet you with 400 men at his side. 400 men are with him. Oh, no. Well, this does not look good for Jacob, does it? Uh, this is our impending disaster. This is our Mount Doom moment. An army's coming straight for him, led by the guy who last we saw wanted Jacob dead. And Jacob is thinking, wow, everything's, everything else had worked out. Everything else in my life was finally going well, but I'm going to lose it all just because of this one thing I haven't dealt with. My brother, this, this has been hanging over me for years. This is the thing I've been having nightmares about. Oh, it's all finally becoming reality. The army's on its way. If I could just deal with this problem and, and deal with Esau, everything else would be fine. Uh, and, and so what, is, what does Jacob do then? Well, he, he goes into Jacob mode. He, he schemes, he plans, he comes up with a strategy. He sends out animals in front of him as gifts for Esau. I think he said it towards the end of the passage, in, I think it was verse 20, he said, maybe I can pacify my brother, maybe I can sort of butter him up. Uh, last time I saw Esau, who's pretty into eating meat, so I'll give him lots of animals, lots of livestock. Uh, Jacob also divides his camp up. He sends some people over there, he sends some people over there. At least if Esau attacks, he can't you know, take us all out in one go. And he puts his family at the back and he, as Jane said in the kids' talk, he throws up a big prayer to God. I think it's more of just sort of a Hail Mary. I've got to try everything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can pray as well. Uh, this is a desperate man, scared, facing impending doom. And he thinks, if he can just get through this meeting with Esau, this impending disaster, well, maybe everything else could be okay. And isn't it interesting that it's at this moment when Jacob's getting ready to fight his big fight, when he's thinking, there's only one thing in the world that I'm—it's got all my attention right now. That this is when God shows up to meet Jacob. That's kind of inadvertently what ended up, what Jacob's ended up doing. You know, in the story, just because of Esau, he sort of sent everyone else over there. He sent everyone else over there. He sent his family over there. And kind of inadvertently, he's ended up alone. It's just Jacob by himself. And we're asking who it is that meets uh, God in this story. Well, it's Jacob, but it's not just Jacob, it's Jacob alone. I guess, I guess it is just Jacob. Everything else is stripped away, no distractions, no place to hide. It's like two fighters in a ring. Jacob's finally on his own. And I think we're seeing God say to Jacob, Jacob, you think this is about your brother? You think it's your relationship with your brother you need to get sorted out? Well, actually, the only relationship you really need to be worrying about is your relationship with me. Up until now, Jacob actually hasn't had much of a relationship with God. He knows about God. Yeah, he's prayed to God at a number of points, like in the story today. He's, he's had a few spiritual experiences. And of course, you know, his dad knew God and his grandpa Abraham knew God really well. And he's always kind of grown up around God's people. But at the same time, he's also pretty vague in his faith. And if you look closely, you spot things like idols to other gods that are just sitting there in his family home. But here at this moment, on this night when he's all alone, he's at his most desperate, thinking all about Esau, if I can just deal with Esau, I can get on with the rest of my life of blessing. This is the moment that God comes and says, no, if you want a life of blessing, the thing you would need to deal with, it's not Esau, the thing you need to deal with is me. And it's not enough anymore to coast along on Isaac and Rebecca's faith or, or just, you know, because you, you know, you've got Grandpa Abraham and he had great faith and, you know, your wife Leah's got great faith. You need to know me. You need to know me. Yourself. Just you. 
We're asking, who meets God? Well, it's Jacob. But even more significantly, this is Jacob alone. This is Jacob himself, finally. But secondly, then, let's notice how he meets God. Uh, how, does, how does Jacob meet God? Well, it's the last thing you expect, isn't it? Uh, God comes to Jacob. It's nighttime. It's down by the river. And God comes up to Jacob and, uh, and he clobbers him. Puts him in a chokehold, throws him on the ground. It's a wrestling match. How does he meet God? A wrestling match. We say to, a wrestling match. What is going on? I mean, why would God come and wrestle someone? A wrestling match, a fight. What, what can we say about something like this? I mean, I guess for a start, we can say that, okay, God's, God's a God of the unexpected. I, I think definitely, you know, reading along for the first time, no one would have seen the, seen the wrestling match coming. Uh, makes me think a little bit of another movie slash book, Narnia. Uh, if you've read Narnia, um, the Jesus character in those books uh, is a lion, Aslan, and, and all through the series there's this lion that comes up again and again. Uh, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. God isn't a God that we uh, can put in a cage and make him do tricks. You know, God's not a God that we can keep in a box and bring him out of storage when we need him. But still, like, what, what, what is going on with this wrestling match? Why a wrestling match? I think... I think the only answer I can give to that is that somehow this is the thing that Jacob needed. And we do know that he needed, he's needed to sort out his relationship with God for a long time. We do know that he's always been a wrestler, actually, even right from back from the womb he was fighting. So perhaps Jacob was never going to get the message any other way. Perhaps he needed a fight. And of course, we never want to condone violence, but I reckon you do see sometimes, particularly young guys who are a bit like that, sometimes they just need a bit of a fight. And it might be a bit messed up, but I suspect with Jacob, uh, knowing what we know about him, well, he probably wasn't going to be the sort of guy who was going to get the message if God just sat him down and had a cup of tea. And actually, as I think about it, I think, well, actually, I'm not sure how many of us change that way at all, just because someone sits us down and tells us we need to change. I actually think, as people, we mostly change as we go through the hard things, as we go through struggles, as we go through stresses, periods of grief, periods of uncertainty. I can certainly look back and think of the times when I've changed the most um, over the past 10 years or so, and I can particularly think of one period of uh, being really tired and experiencing kind of some burnout, and I can think of another period of of poor mental health, both kind of short short periods, but they're the periods that I can think of, that they're the times when I can remember changing, and I think they're the times God was using to change me, shape me. Uh, It's not a matter of saying, I'm going through a hard thing, so God God must be trying to change something in my life, I've got to figure out what it is. Uh, It's not never as simple as that, but... Uh, and it doesn't make those hard things any less hard either, but I think we do grow the most through struggles and hard times in, in some ways, I think. Now, I'm not sure if that nails it or not, but I do think that's kind of getting into the ballpark of what's going on here with the wrestle. Jacob's been a wrestler, he's been a fighter his whole life, he's been constantly fighting for blessing, and he needs to change. I think actually you even see Jacob change right in the middle of the... Um, of the fight. I think it'll be worth us just, just reading the bit with the fight again, the wrestle match. Uh, verse 24, uh, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Uh, I do think, by the way, something big is going on here with the socket and the touching of the hip. Um, and that word really is a touch, you know, it's, it's, it's a light tap. You know, this isn't a punch, this isn't a hit, this isn't a uh, this is a light feather touch to the hip and bam, one of the strongest parts of the body is thrown out of whack. And I don't know exactly what it is about this touch. I think this is probably though the moment that Jacob realises that 
this isn't just a man he's fighting. Uh, this is something more than that. This is something divine. And I wonder if somehow also Jacob sort of realises that, oh, I'm hurt now. And maybe because he's injured, somehow he realises that he's not anymore going to have the strength to fight off Esau. Somehow he realises that this is the moment he's going to have to trust God. Uh, but there is an interesting change here because before this, you kind of get the picture that Jacob's trying to fight this strange man off. Uh, but notice the change in the next verse here, verse 26. Uh, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. This is God. That's, what, that's God speaking. Uh, Jacob isn't fighting God off anymore. Jacob's holding on to God. He's holding on to him, not letting him go. Uh, but Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. You get the picture of this man who's been fighting for blessing his whole life, fighting with Esau, fighting with Laban, scheming and wrestling every step of the way, trying to find that blessing that he's been craving. I think this is the moment that he finally gets it. Now, he realizes he's been wrestling everyone else while God has been standing on the sidelines, and he realizes the whole time he should have been wrestling God. Yeah, he's been trying to find blessing everywhere except the place where real blessing is found. He realizes that the place he should have been going for blessing was God. And he realizes suddenly that he's got God right in his grasp. He's got God right there. And God's blessing is right in his hands, literally. So he will not let go. I think, if nothing else, that's what the wrestle is about. It's, it's stripped back, it's no distractions. Everything else is pushed away. There's no place to hide. It's God saying to Jacob, Stop putting me on the sidelines. It's God fighting his way into the center of Jacob's life. It's Jacob who's been fighting for blessing his whole life, grabbing hold of God, holding on until he finally gets that blessing he's been after. Well, who meets God? How does he meet God? Why? He meets God. We've done a lot of groundwork for this last point already. Here at the climax of Jacob's life, we know what he thought he needed. You know, he thought he needed to deal with Esau. We also know what Jacob really needed to get sorted. You know, he still talks about God as the God of his fathers, not his own God. He still has idols in his household. He hasn't dealt with his past sins and failures. He's still a schemer. Even as he's approaching Esau, he's still trying to scheme and plot his way out of the problem. And it's like in this fight, God is just saying, enough, enough, Jacob. It's finally time to sort all of this out. And did you notice this bit right at the end of the... Uh, of the wrestle with the names. Uh, Jane was helpful on this as well. Uh, verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Purple Dragon, no, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. All through Hebrew stories like this, the names tend to be pretty important. Uh, it seems really significant, doesn't it? You know, what, what, what do you think this means, the change of the name? Well, we might have mentioned it in our first week, I can't remember, but the name Jacob, uh, what, what the name Jacob means, it means uh, grasper or deceiver or wrestler. When he was born, Jacob came out grabbing for his brother's heel. That's where the name came from. And that's certainly been the theme of Jacob's life. He's been fighting, struggling, grasping for blessing. But why has God had this meeting with Jacob? Well, God met Jacob because it's time for Jacob to change. It's time for Jacob to put his years of wrestling and fighting behind him, his new name. Israel means God strives or strives with God. Having, having had this encounter with God, having come to God himself, 
Well, if God is going to be at the center of Jacob's life, it's time for Jacob to stop, uh, to start, sorry, it's time for Jacob to start trusting. It's time for Jacob to stop being the one who's fighting for blessing under his own schemes, under his own steam. It's time to start being the person who lets God be the one who strives, to strive with God, to trust God, to look to the blessing that God's promised, rather than trying to fight for it yourself. Jacob needs to stop relying on his own strength and scheming. And that's, the, you know, that, that's hard for someone like Jacob. You know, he, he's actually a good schemer. You know, he's schemed and fought his way to a small fortune. He's cheated Laban out of all sorts of things. He's had all sorts of success. You know, what he, what he hasn't found in all those years, he hasn't found blessing. You know, he's been chasing and chasing and chasing it. But in this encounter, Jacob the wrestler goes from being the one who strives and fights on his own to the one who strives with God, Israel. He strives in complete trust of God. For him, this is it. He's finally got it. He's won. And that's actually what the passage says, isn't it? Yeah, we haven't talked about this yet. We talked about why God wrestled with God, but you know, I think perhaps this is the most stunning, things of all, stunning thing of all. Uh, who wins? Jacob wins. It says it there. You've struggled with God and humans and you've overcome. I mean, who wrestles with God and wins? How does that work? Uh, I think there's only one answer, of course, God is way more powerful than Jacob could ever imagine. You remember that, you know, the touch of the hip that threw his whole joint out of place. But God doesn't win the fight. How does, that, how does God not win a fight? Well, I think there can only be one answer to that. God weakens himself. Yeah, it's a bit like when I might, you know, wrestle on the ground with, with one of my kids. I don't use my full force. You know, we're just mucking around. We're just playing. God weakens himself. And why does he weaken himself? To bring Jacob into a relationship where he can trust in God for his salvation. And as Jacob trusts in God, Jacob wins. As he trusts in God and finds that relationship with God, he's blessed. A new day dawns. He goes on to fight Esau, knowing that he now has a relationship with the God of the universe. He knows now that he can trust God with whatever happens. And as it happens, his showdown with Esau was actually the biggest non-event in history. It was nothing to be worried about anyway. His brother was just excited to see him again, didn't even want the livestock, had plenty of his own. Once again, Jacob had been plotting, scheming, obsessing over everything, trying to figure it out, but all he ever needed to do was trust God. Well, I think that's our story for today. We've seen God wrestle Jacob. God's wrestled his way into the centre of Jacob's life, but I think the question then is where does that leave us? Uh, I think it leaves us with that question from the start. Where does God sit in your life? We've seen in today's story the, the, the points that we, we've seen. Uh, who meets God? How he meets God? Why he meets God? Who, who was it that met God? Well, it was, it was Jacob that had to meet God, wasn't it? Jacob alone. And well, if God's going to be at the center of our lives, well, we need to have our own relationship with God as well, don't we? You know, here at, here at church, we often talk about the importance of community, about being God's people, about how faith isn't just a thing for individuals, it's a corporate thing, uh, and that's all very appropriate, very true, particularly in the Western uh, individualistic world that we live in, that's a very appropriate thing and we need to hear that. Uh, but I think perhaps today's passage, we do need to hear something that yeah, we might sometimes think is really obvious, but we each need our own relationship with God, each of us on our own. You know, just being around the faith community, just sort of having parents or a spouse who loves God like Jacob did, it's, it's not enough. That's not God sitting at the center of your life. 
And of course, is, if, God, if God is at the centre, of course, we will, you know, part of that will be belonging to church and, and being here on, on Sundays should in some ways be you know, the, the pinnacle of our spiritual week. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it might be the, spiritual, the, the pinnacle of our spiritual week, but I think it should also be uh, perhaps just the tip of the iceberg. You know, there, there should be a whole massive part of our spiritual lives that isn't here on a Sunday, where we're growing and learning and praying and meditating on our own. It's possible to get caught up in the movement and come on Sundays and enjoy the worship. And, uh, but, but actually, a bit like Jacob, you don't actually have that relationship with God yourself. Do you need to, a bit like Jacob, spend some time with God alone this week, you know, with all the distractions cleared away? No distractions, no place to hide. Uh, spend some time with God. And we're all distracted. You know, we're always connected in today's world, aren't we? It makes a hard time sometimes, but we do need to find that time with God alone. That was who met God. What about how he met God? Well, Jacob met God and they wrestled. Now, I think if God sits at the center of our lives, I think actually that will also look like us wrestling with God over things sometimes, metaphorically. Yeah, we might be going through something difficult. We can, we can even try and just deal with it ourselves. But if God's at the center of our life, well, surely that looks like wrestling thing, through those difficult things with Him. You know, we might be in the middle of making big decisions. We could try and make those decisions just on our own, or we could be praying and reflecting on His Word and wrestling through those decisions with Him. Or we might be struggling with big questions about God or about His world or what He's doing. You know, we, we can either decide those questions don't matter and forget them, or we can come up with the answers that we like, or we can decide it's easier just yeah, not, to, not to ask the questions at all, or we can choose to wrestle over those questions with God, with His Word and with other believers. I'm sure if you asked around over lunch today, you could find plenty of people in this congregation who could describe what it's like to wrestle with God over something. I'm sure there'll be some here who feel like they're wrestling with God at the moment. And I think take this as an encouragement from today's passage. I, I think it's a good thing to be wrestling with God. He's a God who likes to wrestle. He's the great wrestler. And wrestling hurts sometimes. It might not be the easiest way to go about things. But if we have a faith with, which actually never feels like we're wrestling it might be just because we've put God over on the sidelines or we're keeping him in that box, you know, treating him like that tame lion who we occasionally bring out to do a trick. Who meets God? How does he meet God? Why he meets God? Well, Jacob met God because he needed to change. He needed to go from trusting in himself to trusting in God. He needed to get, he needed to get that new name. And as God came and wrestled Jacob and weakened himself for Jacob, One, he prevailed and he did learn what it was to trust God. I think if God's going to sit at the centre of our lives, well, bringing someone into the core of your life, that involves a lot of trust, doesn't it? Yeah, it means trusting in Him, actually trusting in Him over and above trusting in ourselves. You know, we, 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 we all have skills, you know, we, we're all at some level we're able to scheme and plot and we can use our gifts and skills for, for good things. And, uh, but it's a good thing to trust God because we, we're never going to be able to scheme and plot and, and plan our way into earning His blessing, into earning His salvation. Like Jacob eventually discovered, we need to know that actually blessing is found in trusting the God who weakened Himself for us. In trusting the God who through His death made us righteous. So, where does God sit in your life? Having Him at the centre of your life isn't always easy. It hurts sometimes. It means trusting someone other than yourself. It 
involves plenty of wrestling along the way, but it does mean that we're safe and secure because we're trusting in the one whose promises of blessing are sure. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again today for your word and for these uh, remarkable stories and the amazing way you worked in your people thousands of years ago. Uh, Father, I pray that everyone here would know what it is to have you at the centre of their lives. That might mean asking hard questions that we've been putting off asking. That might mean asking questions of ourselves that we'd rather ignore. But Father, would you help us today as we wrestle with you? Would you help us to trust you, knowing that your promises are sure? Thank you that Jesus made himself weak for us and that in trusting in him, we're saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.